Chapter Thirty of the Arabian Nights Entertainments. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Arabian Nights Entertainments by Andrew Lang. Chapter Thirty. Nureddin and the Fair Persian, Part Two. Covered from head to foot with mire and streaming with blood, he rose, and leaning on two of his slaves, went straight to the palace, where he demanded an audience of the king, to whom he related what had taken place in these words. May it please your majesty, I had gone to the slave market to buy myself a cook. While there I heard a slave being offered for four thousand pieces. Asking to see her, I found she was of incomparable beauty, and was being sold by Nureddin, the son of your late vizier, to whom your majesty will remember giving a sum of ten thousand gold pieces for the purchase of a slave. This is the identical slave whom, instead of bringing to your majesty, he gave to his own son. Since the death of his father, this Nureddin has run through his entire fortune, has sold all his possessions, and is now reduced to selling the slave. Calling him to me, I said, Nureddin, I will give you ten thousand gold pieces for your slave, whom I will present to the king. I will interest him at the same time in your behalf, and this will be worth much more to you than what extra money you might obtain from the merchants. That old man, he exclaimed, rather than sell my slave to you, I would give her to you. But Nureddin, I remonstrated. You do not consider that in speaking thus you wrong the king, to whom your father owed everything. This remonstrance only irritated him the more. Throwing himself on me like a madman, he tore me from my horse, beat me to his heart's content, and left me in the state your majesty sees. So saying, Saoui turned aside his head and wept bitterly. The king's wrath was kindled against Nureddin. He ordered the captain of the guard to take with him forty men, to pillage Nureddin's house, to raise it to the ground, and to bring Nureddin and the slave to him. A doorkeeper named Sangya, who had been a slave of Kazan's, hearing this order given, slipped out of the king's apartment and hastened to warn Nureddin to take flight instantly with a beautiful Persian. Then, presenting him with forty gold pieces, he disappeared before Nureddin had time to thank him. As soon, then, as the fair Persian had put on her veil, they fled together, and had the good fortune to get out of the town without being observed. At the mouth of the Euphrates they found a ship just about to start for Baghdad. They embarked, and immediately the anchor was raised, and they set sail. When the captain of the guard reached Nureddin's house, he caused his soldiers to burst open the door and to enter by force, but no trace was to be found of Nureddin and his slave, nor could the neighbors give any information about them. When the king heard that they had escaped, he issued a proclamation that a reward of one thousand gold pieces would be given to whoever would bring him Nureddin and the slave, but that, on the contrary, whoever hid them would be severely punished. Meanwhile, Nureddin and the fair Persian had safely reached Baghdad. When the vessel had come to an anchor, they paid five gold pieces for their passage and went ashore. Never having been in Baghdad before, they did not know where to seek a lodging. Wandering along the banks of the Tigris, they skirted a garden enclosed by a high wall. 
the gate was shut, but in front of it was an open vestibule with a sofa on either side. Here, said Noureddin, let us pass the night, and reclining on the sofas they soon fell asleep. Now this garden belonged to the caliph. In the middle of it was a vast pavilion, whose superb saloon had eighty windows, each window having a luster lit solely when the caliph spent the evening there. Only the doorkeeper lived there, an old soldier named Shai Ibrahim, who had strict orders to be very careful whom he admitted, and never to allow any one to sit on the sofas by the door. It happened that evening that he had gone out on an errand. When he came back and saw two persons asleep on the sofas, he was about to drive them out with blows, but drawing nearer he perceived that they were a handsome young man and a beautiful young woman, and decided to awake them by gentler means. Nureddin, on being awoke, told the old man that they were strangers, and merely wished to pass the night there. "'Come with me,' said Shai Ibrahim. "'I will lodge you better, and will show you a magnificent garden belonging to me.' So saying, the doorkeeper led the way into the caliph's garden, the beauties of which filled them with wonder and amazement. Nureddin took out two gold pieces, and giving them to Shai Ibrahim, said, I beg you to get us something to eat, that we may make merry together. Being very avaricious, Shai Ibrahim determined to spend only the tenth part of the money, and to keep the rest to himself. While he was gone, Nureddin and the Persian wandered through the gardens and went up the wide marble staircase of the pavilion as far as the locked door of the saloon. On the return of Shai Ibrahim, they begged him to open it and to allow them to enter and admire the magnificence within. Consenting, he brought not only the key but a light and immediately unlocked the door. Nureddin and the Persian entering were dazzled with the magnificence they beheld. The paintings and furniture were of astonishing beauty, and between each window was a silver arm holding a candle. Shai Ibrahim spread the table in front of a sofa, and all three ate together. When they had finished eating, Nureddin asked the old man to bring them a bottle of wine. Heaven forbid, said Shai Ibrahim, that I should come in contact with wine. I, who have four times made the pilgrimage to Mecca, and have renounced wine for ever. You would, however, do us a great service in procuring us some, said Noreddin. You need not touch it yourself. Take the ass which is tied to the gate, lead it to the nearest wine shop, and ask some passer-by to order two jars of wine. Have them put in the ass's panniers, and drive them before you. Here are two pieces of gold for the expenses. At sight of the gold, Shai Ibrahim set off at once to execute the commission. On his return, Nureddin said, We have still need of cups to drink from, and of fruit, if you can procure us some. Shai Ibrahim disappeared again, and soon returned with a table spread with cups of gold and silver, and every sort of beautiful fruit. Then he withdrew, in spite of repeated invitations to remain. Nureddin and the beautiful Persian, finding the wine excellent, drank of it freely, and while drinking they sang. Both had fine voices, and Shai Ibrahim listened to them with great pleasure. First from a distance, then he drew nearer, and finally put his head in at the door. Nureddin, seeing him, 
called to him to come in and keep them company. At first the old man declined, but was persuaded to enter the room, to sit down on the edge of the sofa nearest the door, and at last to draw closer and to seat himself by the beautiful Persian, who urged him so persistently to drink her health that at length he yielded and took the cup she offered. Now the old man only made a pretense of renouncing wine. He frequented wine shops like other people, and had taken none of the precautions Nureddin had proposed. Having once yielded, he was easily persuaded to take a second cup, and a third, and so on, till he no longer knew what he was doing. Till near midnight they continued drinking, laughing, and singing together. About that time the Persian, perceiving that the room was lit by only one miserable tallow candle, asked Shai Ibrahim to light some of the beautiful candles in the silver arms. "'Light them yourself,' answered the old man. "'You are younger than I, but let five or six be enough.' She did not stop, however, till she had lit all the eighty, but Shai Ibrahim was not conscious of this. And when soon after that Nureddin proposed to have some of the lustres lit, he answered, "'You are more capable of lighting them than I, but not more than three. Nureddin, far from contenting himself with three, lit all, and opened all the eighty windows. The caliph Harun al-Rashid, chancing at that moment to open a window in the saloon of his palace looking on the garden, was surprised to see the pavilion brilliantly illuminated. Calling the grand vizier, Jafar, he said to him, Negligent vizier, look at the pavilion, and tell me why it is lit up when I am not there. When the vizier saw that it was as the caliph said, he trembled with fear, and immediately invented an excuse. Commander of the faithful, he said. I must tell you that four or five days ago Shai Ibrahim told me that he wished to have an assembly of the ministers of his mosque, and asked permission to hold it in the pavilion. I granted his request, but forgot since to mention it to your majesty. Jafar, replied the caliph, you have committed three faults. First, in giving the permission. Second, in not mentioning it to me and third, in not investigating the matter more closely. For punishment I condemn you to spend the rest of the night with me in company of these worthy people. While I dress myself as a citizen, go and disguise yourself, and then come with me. When they reached the garden gate they found it open, to the great indignation of the caliph. The door of the pavilion being also open, he went softly upstairs, and looked in at the half-closed door of the saloon. Great was his surprise to see Shai Ibrahim, whose sobriety he had never doubted, drinking and singing with a young man and a beautiful lady. The caliph, before giving way to his anger, determined to watch and see who the people were and what they did. Presently Shai Ibrahim asked the beautiful Persian if anything were wanting to complete her enjoyment of the evening. If only, she said, I had an instrument upon which I might play. Shai Ibrahim immediately took a lute from a cupboard and gave it to the Persian, who began to play on it, singing the while with such skill and taste that the caliph was enchanted. When she ceased, he went softly downstairs and said to the vizier, Never have I heard a finer voice, 
nor the lute better played. I am determined to go in and make her play to me. Commander of the faithful, said the vizier, if Shai Ibrahim recognizes you, he will die of fright. I should be sorry for that, answered the caliph, and I am going to take steps to prevent it. Wait here till I return. Now the caliph had caused a bend in the river to form a lake in his garden. There the finest fish in the Tigris were to be found, but fishing was strictly forbidden. It happened that night, however, that a fisherman had taken advantage of the gate being open to go in and cast his nets. He was just about to draw them when he saw the caliph approaching. Recognizing him at once, in spite of his disguise, he threw himself at his feet, imploring forgiveness. "'Fear nothing,' said the caliph. "'Only rise up and draw thy nets.' The fisherman did as he was told, and produced five or six fine fish, of which the caliph took the two largest. Then he desired the fisherman to change clothes with him, and in a few minutes the caliph was transformed into a fisherman, even to the shoes and the turban. Taking the two fish in his hand, he returned to the vizier, who, not recognizing him, would have sent him about his business. Leaving the vizier at the foot of the stairs, the caliph went up and knocked at the door of the saloon. Nureddin opened it, and the caliph, standing on the threshold, said, Shai Ibrahim, I am the fisher Kerim. Seeing that you are feasting with your friends, I bring you these fish. Nureddin and the Persian said that when the fishes were properly cooked and dressed, they would gladly eat of them. The caliph then returned to the vizier, and they set to work in Shai Ibrahim's house to cook the fish, of which they made so tempting a dish that Nureddin and the fair Persian ate of it with great relish. When they had finished, Nureddin took thirty gold pieces, all that remained of what Sangia had given him, and presented them to the caliph, who, thanking him, asked as a further favor if the lady would play him one piece on the lute. The Persian gladly consented, and sang and played so as to delight the caliph. Nureddin, in the habit of giving to others whatever they admired, said, Fisherman, as she pleases you so much, take her. She is yours. The fair Persian, astounded that he should wish to part from her, took her lute, and with tears in her eyes sang her reproaches to its music. The caliph, still in the character of fisherman, said to him, Sir, I perceive that this fair lady is your slave. Oblige me, I beg you, by relating your history. Nureddin willingly granted this request and recounted everything from the purchase of the slave down to the present moment. And where do you go now? asked the caliph. Wherever the hand of Allah leads me, said Nureddin. Then, if you will listen to me, said the caliph, you will immediately return to Bazora. I will give you a letter to the king, which will ensure you a good reception from him. It is an unheard of thing, said Nureddin, that a fisherman should be in correspondence with a king. Let not that astonish you, answered the caliph. We studied together, and have always remained the best of friends, though fortune, while making him a king, left me a humble fisherman. The caliph then took a sheet of paper and wrote the following letter, at the top of which he put in very small characters this formula to show that he must be implicitly obeyed. In the name of the most merciful God. 
Letter of the Caliph Harun al-Rashid to the King of Balsora Harun al-Rashid, son of Mahdi, sends this letter to Mohammed Sinebi, his cousin. As soon as Nureddin, son of the vizier Kazan, bearer of this letter, has given it to thee, and thou hast read it, take off thy royal mantle, put it on his shoulders, and seat him in thy place without fail. Farewell. The caliph then gave this letter to Nureddin, who immediately set off with only that little money he possessed when Sangia came to his assistance. The beautiful Persian, inconsolable at his departure, sank on a sofa, bathed in tears. When Nureddin had left the room, Shai Ibrahim, who had hitherto kept silence, said, Kerim, for two miserable fish thou hast received a purse and a slave. I tell thee I will take the slave, and as to the purse, if it contains silver thou mayst keep one piece. If gold, then I will take all, and give thee what copper pieces I have in my purse. Now here it must be related that when the caliph went upstairs with a plate of fish, he ordered the vizier to hasten to the palace and bring back four slaves bearing a change of raiment, who should wait outside the pavilion till the caliph should clap his hands. Still personating the fisherman, the caliph answered, Shai Ibrahim, whatever is in the purse I will share equally with you, but as to the slave, I will keep her for myself. If you do not agree to these conditions, you shall have nothing. The old man, furious at this insolence as he considered it, took a cup and threw it at the caliph, who easily avoided a missile from the hand of a drunken man. It hit against the wall and broke into a thousand pieces. Shai Ibrahim, still more enraged, then went out to fetch a stick. The caliph at that moment clapped his hands, and the vizier and the four slaves entering took off the fisherman's dress and put on him that which they had brought. When Shai Ibrahim returned, a thick stick in his hand, the caliph was seated on his throne, and nothing remained of the fisherman but his cloths in the middle of the room. Throwing himself on the ground at the caliph's feet, he said, Commander of the faithful, your miserable slave has offended you and craves forgiveness. The caliph came down from his throne and said, Rise, I forgive thee. Then turning to the Persian, he said, Fair lady, now you know who I am. Learn also that I have sent Nureddin to Balsora to be king, and as soon as all necessary preparations are made, I will send you there to be queen. Meanwhile, I will give you an apartment in my palace, where you will be treated with all honor. At this the beautiful Persian took courage, and the caliph was as good as his word, recommending her to the care of his wife Zobeida. Nureddin made all haste on his journey to Balsora and on his arrival there went straight to the palace of the king, of whom he demanded an audience. It was immediately granted, and holding the letter high above his head, he forced his way through the crowd. While the king read the letter, he changed color. He would instantly have executed the caliph's order, but first he showed the letter to Saoui, whose interests were equally at stake with his own. Pretending that he wished to read it a second time, Sawi turned aside, as if to seek a better light. Unperceived by anyone, he tore off the formula from the top of the letter, put it to his mouth, and swallowed it. Then, turning to the king, he said, 
"'Your Majesty has no need to obey this letter. "'The writing is indeed that of the Caliph, but the formula is absent. "'Besides, he has not sent an express with a patent, "'without which the letter is useless. "'Leave all to me, and I will take the consequences.' The king not only listened to the persuasions of Zawi, but gave Nureddin into his hands. Such a severe bastinado was first administered to him that he was left more dead than alive. Then Zawi threw him into the darkest and deepest dungeon, and fed him only on bread and water. After ten days Zawi determined to put an end to Nureddin's life, but dared not without the king's authority. To gain this end, he loaded several of his own slaves with rich gifts, and presented himself as their heads to the king, saying that they were from the new king on his coronation. What, said the king, is that wretch still alive? Go and behead him at once. I authorize you. Sire, said Sawi, I thank your majesty for the justice you do me. I would further back, as Nureddin publicly affronted me, that the execution might be in front of the palace, and that it might be proclaimed throughout the city, so that no one may be ignorant of it. The king granted these requests, and the announcement caused universal grief, for the memory of Nureddin's father was still fresh in the heart of his people. Sawi, accompanied by twenty of his own slaves, went through the prison to fetch Nureddin, whom he mounted on a wretched horse without a saddle. Arrived at the palace, Sawi went into the king, leaving Nureddin in the square, hemmed in not only by Sawi's slaves but by the royal guard, who had great difficulty in preventing the people from rushing in and rescuing Nureddin. So great was the indignation against Sawi that if anyone had set the example he would have been stoned on his way through the streets. Sawi who witnessed the agitation of the people from the windows of the king's private chambers, called the executioner to strike at once. The king, however, ordered him to delay. Not only was he jealous of Sawi's interference, but he had another reason. A troop of horsemen was seen at that moment riding at full gallop towards the square. Sawi suspected who they might be, and urged the king to give the signal for the execution without delay, but this the king refused to do, till he knew who the horsemen were. Now they were the vizier Jafar and his suite arriving at full speed from Baghdad. For several days after Nureddin's departure with the letter, the caliph had forgotten to send the express with the patent, without which the letter was useless. Hearing a beautiful voice one day in the women's part of the palace uttering lamentations, he was informed that it was the voice of the fair Persian, and suddenly calling to mind the patent, he sent for Jafar and ordered him to make for Balzora with the utmost speed. If Nureddin were dead, to hang Sawi. If he were still alive, to bring him at once to Baghdad along with the king and Sawi. Jafar rode at full speed through the square and alighted at the steps of the palace where the king came to greet him. The vizier's first question was whether Nureddin were still alive. The king replied that he was, and he was immediately led forth, though bound hand and foot. By the vizier's orders his bonds were immediately undone, and Zawi was tied with the same cords. Next day Jafar returned to Baghdad, bearing with him the king, Zawi, and Nureddin. When the caliph heard what treatment Nureddin had received, 
he authorized him to behead Sawi with his own hands. But he declined to shed the blood of his enemy, who was forthwith handed over to the executioner. The caliph also desired Nureddin to reign over Balsora. But this, too, he declined, saying that after what had passed there he preferred never to return, but to enter the service of the caliph. He became one of his most intimate courtiers, and lived long in great happiness with the fair Persian. As to the king, the caliph contented himself with sending him back to Balsora, with a recommendation to be more careful in future in the choice of his vizier. End of chapter 30